Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie, and today I am welcoming a special guest, Mr. Brian Salaya. We are both music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 102. Today we'll be offering advice and ideas for student teachers. And in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. Right, so today I am doing, this is Carrie by the way, a solo podcast with a special guest. Tanya and I are each going to be taking a solo episode because we're both going on some vacation time and we're just giving ourselves that flexibility. So with that said, it's me today, Carrie, and I have a special guest, Brian Salaya. I was fortunate enough to have Brian as my student teacher back in, okay, Brian, when was this? January, February, early March of 2020, right? Yeah. Before the world shut down, like before literally. Shut down, like literally the week before. Yes, exactly. So since our topic today is um, advice for student teachers, and somebody specifically asked us to do this episode, by the way, thank you to that person, whoever you are. Um, so I, I thought, you know, rather than Tanya and I talking about this, what better way to talk about this than invite somebody who was my most recent student teacher who has that experience pretty fresh in the mind. Right, Brian? Yes. Okay, awesome. So first, we're just going to ask Brian some questions just so you can get to know him. So Brian, where did you grow up? Well, I was born in Los Angeles in California, but when I was four, I moved to Colorado and stayed there for the whole time. Yeah. And what area of Colorado did you go to school? Um, more northern Colorado. I skipped around a couple of districts, but then landed in Adams 12. That's right. Yeah. And then what is your educational background as far as your undergrad? Uh, I got my bachelor's in music education in clarinet performance from CSU up in Fort Collins. Yay, CSU. That's where Tanya and I teach Kodai levels. We Go love Rams. It. Go Rams. And then as far as, you know, so far in your musical, your music education career, what would you say your, your specialty? I mean, your instrument obviously is clarinet, but what's kind of your niche right now when it comes to music ed? Um, right now, my niche has been teaching um, high school band, um, but I've also played professionally, um, actually on trombone in a polka band, and I've been involved in that for like three years. I don't know if I knew that about you, Brian. That makes me so happy. My grandpa was super into polka bands. He played drums in polka bands, so it's near and dear it. to my heart. <laughs> and then what is your current teaching situation since, you know, graduation in spring of 2020 when the world shut down? So currently I'm teaching high school band um, in Colorado Springs, um, and I have been loving my students and doing the high school band thing. That's awesome. And then can you just share like a fun little tidbit or a fun fact about you? It doesn't have to be music or teaching related, but it can be if you want. <laughs> well, it kind of is kind of not. Um, and a very fitting theme for this podcast um, and a fact that my students know very, very well, during the fall season, I am an abundant consumer of pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> nice. So Brian, we always start, Tanya and I, with sharing some highs or lows, you know, just like a funny little moment um, or something really awesome that happened from our teaching week or recently. It could be a funny story, a fail, a win. So what would you like to share with us today from your recent teaching weeks? Okay, so I have both a win and a funny story. I love it. So a 
couple of weeks ago, um, we had our very first concert for these students haven't performed in like a year and a half to two years. So we had our very first concert and all of the students were just in love with performing again. I had people from my concert band come up to me in the next days saying, I really need to practice. Do you have any advice to practice? Because I really want to be in symphonic band next year. And then I had people in symphonic band telling me how well the concert band did, you know, and they're like, wow, it was so good to hear them playing. Like, I'm really excited for this. So that was a huge win um, that we just had recently. Funny story, um, actually this week, last night, um, we are having our musical at our school. And it's basically just this um, collection of a bunch of different musicals. So it's one number from each musical. Got it. And the theater teacher reached out to all of our staff and was like, hey, we need some um, teachers to take part in this. We really want to build a school culture this way. So we all did something to let it go. And so I got to be Queen Elsa of Arendelle um, yes. in the school's production. And it was <laughs> so awesome because I had to keep the secret from all of the staff and all of the students because I wanted it to be a huge moment. So we were all lip syncing and it was called Battle of the Elsas. So all of the teachers that were participating was like this huge thing where we were lip syncing to students singing and, you know, we had all come out. And so it was a lot of fun, you know, it was a lot of fun for the students to see their teachers, you know, especially their teachers who do not normally wear dresses coming out in dresses. Um, <laughs> and so I wore a blue sweatshirt that concealed this dress. And I had the moment where it was, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Frozen. Or the oh, song yes. Go. I have you oh, yes. friend, remember. <laughs> <laughs> so I had the part that was after Frozen Fractals. I mean, it was like the passes in the past. And when it came to the passes in the past, I unzipped my sweatshirt, threw it off and revealed this long flowing blue dress. <laughs> and it was this huge moment. All of my students were in the audience and they just absolutely went wild for it. Um, but the theater teacher didn't know that I was going to do that. They all just thought that I was just going to be an underdressed Elsa. But, you know, as you remember from my student teaching, I'm, I'm a little bit more eccentric than that. Yeah. Um, and so when I did that, they all went wild and it was just a, such a fun time. Um, and I had students coming up to me like, you did not disappoint. And so it was a ton of fun to support the arts, to motivate students to support the arts. Um, and to really just build that school culture, which is something that has been a goal for us. So that was a ton of fun to be able to do and just be a part of. Oh, I love that. That makes me so happy. I might need to see a video of this, Brian. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll ask my students. They all were recording. I'm sure they were. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, that is a lovely high note. I'm I had a low note today. I should have gone first so it doesn't end on a downer, but I was just going to share a low note just in case you're feeling this way, Brian, or our listeners are feeling this way. But um, it's been really tough the last couple of weeks. We've had a lot of kids out sick. Are you seeing this too? Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of kids out sick and I'm seeing a lot of kids just also kind of mentally drained and yeah. taking a check out there as well. So it's been kind of hard from the teaching and student perspective of just going through this year. 
Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely seeing a rise in, in COVID cases. And we've had, I mean, the way that it's working in my school and my district is a whole class doesn't have to quarantine, but whoever was considered in close contact. So basically eating lunch is really where it's happening um, when we have assigned seats in the lunchroom so they can contact trace, which is good. Um, but yeah, like half of my fourth graders were out this week because of a quarantine. And then just a lot of kids I notice are just getting colds and stomach bugs and things are going around. And, you know, I mean, it makes sense that we were cooped up for so long that now that we're out and about again, our immune systems are not able to respond to just those like typical illnesses as well. Plus, we're being overly cautious, as we should be, about staying home when we are sick. You know, um, my own son has just like a, a bad runny nose. And so, you know, I know I can't send him to school where in the past maybe we could, you know. Mm -hmm. So just feeling that frustration of like, I really felt like I was finally kind of getting in a groove with my students. And now like a third to a half of my kids have been absent from all of my classes this week. So I feel like we're kind of taking a step back. So just feeling that frustration. It's that time of year it's that time of year and then you know on my side of things too like I've been we just like I was just talking about we just had our concert so we're switching over to a new concert cycle I've had some students that I haven't been able to see to yeah. give them their new music yet and we're already you know kind of deep in rehearsals so it's it's definitely been an interesting time to figure out all of that stuff and figure out where we're going totally So now it is time for our main theme, which is tips and advice for student teachers. And like I said, it's been 20 years since I've been a student teacher. <laughs> so it seems to make a lot more sense to have someone who's done it more recently to, to ask some questions to. So I've already warned Brian that he does not have to be overly kind because I was his supervising teacher as far as gushing over the experience because I know there's always things that I can learn and grow on my end too. So I look forward to hearing your thoughts today, Brian. Sounds good. All right. So I have some questions prepared and then we'll just go from there. So starting with really that first step, which is depending on the program, oftentimes you you might be able to choose who your supervising teacher is. So um, if, if you're able to choose for yourself, what what do you look for when you're looking for a student teaching placement, a cooperating teacher? And again, knowing that as music educators, we have to do two, right? In elementary and a secondary. So what kind of things were you looking for when you were in that process? So there's a few different things. And I'll be honest, when I was starting this process, I was so lost and <laughs> drowning in all of my student work and everything like that. So, you know, if you're sitting here as um, a person looking for a placement, looking for all of that stuff and getting into student teaching, like know that you are valid in how you're feeling. And yes, you're going to be drowning, but you will be just fine. Um, <laughs> the first things that I started looking for is a, I went and I asked my professors if they had any recommendations. Um, cause a lot of times they're a lot more adulty than you are. Um, and so they have a lot more connections throughout the music education world. And if you haven't figured out by now, music education is a lot about networking. Yep. Um, so I used my resources at university and figured out, you know, what, who they recommended, who they know, um, and everything like that. After that, then the footwork on your end starts. So I started looking at um, the schools of the teachers that I was recommended, looking at their websites, combing through it. Um, I could find and pull from them because what you're looking for there is you're looking for their mission and vision. Um, and you're looking for what the school stands for. 
because the school then expects that teacher to be exemplifying those um, those different things that they're looking at. So if you're looking at a school culture, looking at a school website, and you're thinking, well, I'm just not really jiving with this culture, chances are either you're not going to jive with that teacher that's there, or that teacher might not be on the best terms with their school. Um, so looking at that before you even contact a teacher is really important because then you're not bothering them and their busy schedules because as you know, teachers can be very, very busy a lot of the time. So giving them that respect in that space too is gonna be very helpful to you. Once you do find um, a school that you're kind of like, oh, I jive with this, you know, this could be a good placement. Um, oh, side note, also, as you're looking at schools, websites and stuff, this is really great practice for as you're looking for a job after your student teaching. Because again, those jobs and those schools expect teachers to share that mission and vision. So if you're looking at applying for a job and you don't share that mission and vision, you're probably not going to enjoy your job for a year. So that's a good thing to be looking at. All right. So on the more teachery side of things, um, I want to find somebody who has a clear and positive relationship with their students. If they don't have a clear and positive relationship with their students and what's going on there, then as a student teacher, you're not going to be able to take a lot of risks because that teacher isn't going to have that um, that connection with their students to be able to step aside and let somebody else come in. And so you're not gonna be able to take those important risks and learn as much as you can through that placement. So that's one of the first things that I look for is a positive relationship with students. Um, if they have built that uh, trust in that relationship, then you can grow and then you can learn together. Um, it's super important to take risks and be able to go through those different things because this is like your last chance to actually be involved in the learning process before you're alone in a room with students. After your student teaching, it's all you. That's it. Not saying that it's not important to take risks during that time and in your job, but when you're taking a risk with another professional teacher who has experience under their belt, taking that risk, even if you just write it out in a plan and you have them look over it and they say, this could work well, We'll see how this goes. You know, having that opportunity and that space to be able to take that risk is such an important thing because then even if it flops and it fails, you can say that you tried it. Right. And maybe it only flops and fails because there was a couple of things in there that you didn't think about or that, oh, I just needed to plan this a little differently or, oh, you know, talking about, you know, more of my experience um, with Carrie being, you know, in Kodai, you have to plan, prepare, present. Maybe you jumped over to present and you didn't do the planning or preparing. Well, it gives you some insight on what you need to do in the future to be able to make that work. But you can't do that if you don't have risks. Can't take risks if that teacher doesn't have good and positive student relationships, because then you're not going to have those students and be able to do that. Um, the next thing that I look for um, is an alignment of educational and moral philosophies between myself and between the cooperating teacher. Um, if you don't align on your philosophies, in my case, I had to spend eight weeks with both of my cooperating teachers. If you don't align with them as a person, good luck. It's right. going to be a very rough eight weeks for you, you know, because while being a teacher and being and going into these things is really important, you're a human first. You're a person first. And when it comes down to it, the job is a job. And yes, as teachers, we get very involved into our jobs, 
but at the same time, we are people. And you need to be able to meet on that person-to-person level to be able to learn from them and have that positive relationship because it's not just eight weeks. It's not just your student teaching. You're building a professional relationship that will continue hopefully for the rest of your life. And that goes into, like I mentioned earlier, that goes into networking, that goes into meeting other people, and that goes into really building up who you are as a teacher and building your portfolio as a teacher, as well as getting some really good friends along the way. So you want to make sure that you get along with them in philosophies, educationally, personally, all that other fun stuff, because that's going to supply you with a really good experience. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. Was that, oh, sorry, did you have more for that? Uh, You know, I made a lot of notes (laughs) and I did not do the same where I bullet pointed them. So I'm like, did I have anything else? Oh, big part of this too is remember that the cooperating teacher is inviting you into their classroom, not the other way around. So as you're looking for this cooperating teacher, while you might be frustrated if you don't align on things, they'll also be frustrated. And this is their professional career and you are stepping into their classroom. So it's out of respect to what they do and how they're doing. If you don't align with them, don't ask the student teach there. It's okay to go and observe and pull some things out and then not student teach there. That's a-okay. Because if you don't align, you're going to make them frustrated and then that's not going to work out for you. Right. And then... Oh, the last big, big thing that I look for um, is I need to be with somebody who has a mindset of lifelong learning because you just spent four years involved in four to five years and deeply involved in all of these educational practices, learning this, learning that. Here's what you can implement. Here's what you can do, you know, and as Carrie said that she was looking for somebody who student taught a little bit more recently, this needs to be mutually beneficial. So I know that as I was teaching and bringing things in, Carrie was looking at what I was doing too, to see if maybe there are some things that she could pull in, you know, into her teaching or see if there are some things that we could do. It's a mutually beneficial professional relationship. If this person that you're working for doesn't have that lifelong learning um, goal, doesn't show signs of doing that, then a worry that I would have is that it's going to be their way or the highway. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to help you to take risks and to learn and to build off of each other. Cause that's really what the student teaching experience is about as well is it's getting you ready for your own classroom. It's getting you ready um, to fully submerge you in what you're doing. And that is a huge important thing. So all in all, find good schools that you drive with, find somebody who you get along with and be a lifelong learner. Awesome. And that's great advice on the other end too, for supervising teachers who are like, yeah, I need to keep those things in mind too, as far as especially that alignment of curriculum. We talked about that. Tanya and I did an episode for more supervising teachers. Like, what do you do to prepare for a student teacher? And we talked about that. Like if somebody comes and observes you and you have a conversation and you realize this isn't a good fit, it's okay to say no. And it, it goes both ways. Right. Yeah. All right, so you've selected and you, you've you got it all figured out who you're going to student teach with. So now what's that preparation process going to look like knowing again that you're still in undergrad and you're still finishing up those classes before you start student teaching. So what do you think is reasonable expectations for, for yourself as a student teacher as far as how many times might you go and visit the classroom um, before your student teaching starts? What are you going to do to look at the curriculum or the repertoire if it's a secondary placement to kind of get you ready for when it actually starts? 
So at my, at the school that I went to up at CSU, we were required to have our placements a year in advance. Mm -hmm. I am very happy that we did it a year in advance. Um, the reason being is because once I got my placement solidified, once I was able to do that, I was able to start communications with you and my secondary teacher uh, teaching placement of when can I come in? How can I come in and be there? Because you need to visit as often as possible to your student teaching placement. A, that's going to help build the relationship between you and your cooperating teacher. B, that's going to get your student relationships and the relationships that you're going to need to have with those students built early. The more that you can build that relationship before you get there full time, the better it's going to be for you because those students are already going to know you. They're going to know your name. They're going to know what you're all about. They're going to see that you already have that trust with their teacher. Um, and so that's going to help you out in the long run. For me, I think I was able to make it down about once a month or at least try to make it down once a month. Um, if you're able to and if the cooperating teacher is willing to have you more, do it because that's going to be so awesome for you. And that's going to really help build relationships on all ends and help your teaching. And you're going to be watching a master teacher teach all of that time. And that's a really good thing to do because now you're going to start pulling in ideas and everything as well. This also opens up the opportunity for you to have conversations such as, hey, what songs and games do you play? Mm -hmm. Because more, more often than not, they're going to be like, oh, we play this song in uh, kinder, we do this in fifth grade, we do this in sixth grade. Hey, here's all of the songs. <laughs> Start memorizing them now. <laughs> Start memorizing them now. You know, I was, um, I was able to be able to build off of that because they, you know, Carrie had all of her stuff planned out, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, it was just super organized and super helpful for me, you know, so she was able to just pull stuff out and be like, Hey, go learn this. Cause now before I even get there, I'm able to learn the repertoire, learn the songs and games, so that when I'm going in, I'm not having one more stressor about, I don't know what I'm doing. Now it's, well, I planned this lesson. I don't know if it's going to flop or not, but hey, at least I know the songs and games and I know extras in case it does flop. Yes. You know, so now that's building that. So being able to go in as early and as often as you can is really good. Because another thing that you can do, sorry, I'm just thinking of things now too, that are just that's like great. reflecting and looking back. If you visit often and maybe there's a day where, oh, we need to use some behavioral intervention systems. Now you can see what those systems already are. So as you get into your student teaching, that's not another question that you have when you show up day one. Hey, how do you deal with this? You've already seen it in action. You've already seen it happen. You can ask those questions, get familiar with the processes that are used in the classroom. And that's going to give you a really good foundation to start on. You know, it's like if you just go in unprepared, knowing nothing into your placement, your foundation is like sand and it's going to be ever changing. But if you go in early, it's going to be like it's made out of stone and then you're going to know exactly what to do. And that's going to help you out a ton. Push come to shove. Ask your cooperating teachers what they need from you from the get go. Mm -hmm. If you know what they need and what their expectations are you're going to be able to prepare in the way that's best for you. 
All right. So now for like the organizational stuff, which Brian knows I love, I love me a good <laughs> Google folder. Um, so what does that process look like as far as you remember? And then what suggestions might you have for both student teachers and cooperating teachers about developing a schedule of, you know, that release of responsibility to the student teacher, the organizational process? What do you remember working really well for you as far as lesson planning goes, both like the long-term lesson planning as far as curriculum, unit planning and then in secondary world I would imagine like concert planning right and then also the day-to-day -day, like daily lesson plans do you remember yeah. like what worked well or what you felt was missing because especially I know in elementary I can say it's so much there's so much to plan for with you know six or seven different grades and daily lesson plans so just spew some thoughts about all of that so organization as a teacher it's gonna be a wild ride. Um, you wanna be as organized as you possibly can. I personally recommend like a Google Drive or something like that that can be shared because I cannot tell you how many times I looked back and I was like, I really don't know what we just did, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or as I got into like my first year of teaching, I remember going like, I have no idea where to even start because all of a sudden it was like, oh, I'm in charge now what do I do? <laughs> yeah. So being able to go back and this is more like, you know, advice to supervising teachers of have a Google drive put together of something that's just easy for you to click share, mm -hmm. because that's going to help you not be like, Oh, I need to go find this resource for you. Now you're spending extra time going and finding a resource to help your student teacher. And now that's taking time out of your already busy schedule. If you just have something already kind of prepared and a rundown, like I said, I had to have my placement a year in advance. So I'm sure that Carrie was going like, okay, what do I need to have together for a student teacher? Mm -hmm. um, you know, having that all put together in an easy way to just share it. Oh, it makes life so magical. Um, Cause then now I can go back and I can still look at the Google drive that Carrie shared with me and be like, what did we do? How did we have this organizational process? And that was so helpful. And that's helpful for me now, even in the high school processing of it, when I go back and I'm looking at the organizational style helps me out a ton. I cannot tell you how much I've used Excel spreadsheets in the past month um, to figure out what's going on and what I'm doing. Um, so that's a big thing. And then also knowing what organization to have where. Um, so I remember thinking back to when I was with Carrie, she had this organizational system of a free day chart um, and games and stuff to play and then apps. And then she had this large curriculum plan. So it was all very organized and very easy to follow. The biggest thing to start with is I think knowing where you're going. Um, if you start where you're, if you know where you're going, then you know where you're going to be ending up. Um, Sorry, we had a surprise visit from a puppy, so I had a puppy. I hear a little jingle jangle of a color. <laughs> yes, I just had a little puppy head like right in my like Aww. lap and everything. And I just want to <laughs> give her some love. Um, okay, so moving, sorry, train of thought. Curriculum planning. Yeah. Big thing to start with. If you know where you're going, which is knowing where your kids are at, knowing where you're going, and then you can start planning a big like, well, this is where I want to get them. Um, you know, for example, in Kodai, you're supposed to be at this certain point in fifth grade, but you know what? Maybe your kids aren't there. Right. So figuring out where you're supposed to go, what songs and games are going to lead us there, what songs and games kind of go together, you know, what songs and games go with the seasons that are passing at different levels. What can I do? How can I do that? Um, and then also putting things on the calendar of 
hey, let's have our first and second grade program at this point. Let's have our second and third grade program at this point. Please, for the love of everything that is good, do not plan all your grade level programs at the same time. <laughs> um, you are not going to be very happy as a teacher. Um, but planning all of that stuff in advance will tell you where you're going so that when you do have another organizational organizational system like a free day chart or you have another organizational system like, hey, all of these kids are absent. Now what? Yeah. You know, you still have a clear vision of what you need to do and how to get them caught up. And that doesn't mean that you need to be solidified in that. Whenever you're making plans, especially long-term plans, know that they're going to shift. Mm-hmm. Know that you're going to get behind over plan in the rare instance that maybe you get ahead um, so that you are that organized teacher and having that going. So that's kind of the process that I think works really well is start off knowing your big long-term goals and then break it down into short-term goals. It's like a ladder. Oh, sorry. But likely the supervising teacher would have already developed that and is most likely just sharing that with the student teacher. There might be some input from the student teacher, but the reality is the student teacher is likely not going to come with that knowledge of how to lay out that curriculum. Right. Right. So, I mean, I was, I'm thinking from your point of view, you were pretty cool with like, okay, here's Carrie's plan. I'm just going to go along with it as best as I can. And here's the resources to support it. Right. Yes. And all of that was super helpful too, to help me plan then when I was getting into my first year of teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I kind of started off on a rant of. No, no, no. I just wanted to clarify that, you know, who was responsible for creating that plan. I don't want student teachers to think they have to be the ones to do that. Right. Accurate. That would, because if I had that going to my student teaching, I'd be freaking out. Well, yeah, we all would. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As far as daily lesson planning, never plan for a lesson like the day beforehand, (laughs) because that is not going to help you out. Your cooperating teacher is not going to have time to look over it and give you any feedback. You know, I think that about a week before you teach that lesson is probably a good time because that gives the cooperating teacher a little bit of time to look over it. It gives you enough time to maybe take that feedback, make some adjustments and be able to practice it and then go in and teach it. You know, student teaching is going to be a lot all at once. And so having that extra space and time to be able to develop what you're doing is going to help you out in the classroom. And that, again, that daily lesson planning, you know, Carrie made it so easy for me and I absolutely loved it. She already had songs and game suggestions. So it was kind of like a a pick and choose your own adventure um, where I already knew what I was going to pick and choose. And that was really helpful for me. You know, in your situation, it might be a little bit different um, as you're going on and as you're looking at things, but that's what was helpful for me. So if that's something that you do need to develop as a student teacher, maybe your cooperating teacher doesn't have that creating kind of that menu of options of different things can help you out, which is again, why a year placement in advance and really understanding where your cooperating teacher is at is going to help you be able to be successful for you as well. And that's going to help you along with that. Um, Along with that is ask your teacher, like ask your cooperating teacher, what can I do to better be organized and planned because that was, like I said, a lot of the, my planning and stuff came from Carrie. Hmm. A lot of that came from me asking, well, how do you do this? What do you do here? How do we make this happen? Because when you're coming out of your education, you know, they teach you in four years. If you're at a K-12 certification, they teach you in four years, how to teach 12 grade levels worth of content. Yeah. Four years with all love is not enough time. 
mm-hmm. you know? And so one of the things that might be lacking from your university knowledge, or maybe one of the things that you just didn't quite soak in as much as the other content as you're learning, you know, everything else is the organization side of it. And so ask whenever, whenever you're in doubt about anything, ask, and then work towards each other's strengths. You know, if organization wasn't necessarily my strength, but it was Carrie's strength, hey, let's work together on that to develop that so that even as a weakness for me becomes a stronger weakness and then I can get better at it as my career goes on. You know, a lot of the things that you pick up in those short, short, short eight weeks is a foundational thing to help you in your professional career. Nobody expects you to be perfect. And even as you're getting started in your career, it's not an expectation that you're going to be perfect but you need to be as good as you can be. And right. so that's where a lot of that organization comes in. USB drives, Google Drive, <laughs> um, Dropbox. I don't know what other ones are out there. I think Adobe has something out there. Um, anything shareable really that you can have that constant communication, right? Anything shareable. And then after honestly, these last couple of years of teaching, everything electronic yeah. that you can. Yeah. So when we um, developed our schedule of, you know, when you were taking over classes, I remember asking you, do you want to start, you know, at the top and work your way down? And you were like, yes, please. Like start with (laughs) fifth and sixth grade and then, you know, add a grade per week until you finally ended up with a full week. I think you ended up with like a week and a half because of our situation, but of of teaching everybody, right? All day. Um, Tanya and I talked about this on our episode when we were saying, you know, from the cooperating teacher's point of view, you know, we went back and forth a little bit on, you know, should all student teachers have that experience, whether they're ready for it or not, just because of the fact that you want it to be as real as possible. You want people to know when they're going into the profession, here's what a full week of full of full days of teaching looks like, the preparation and the actual teaching. But on the other hand, sometimes you might have student teachers who just because of the whatever prep they had in college or their, their personal strengths might not be ready for it. So can you speak to that a little bit about like, do you think all student teachers should have that experience or do you think it depends on the person? Gosh, that that's a hard question. It's a hard debate. Yeah. Because on one hand, I want to say like, it depends on the situation. It depends where that teacher is because from the supervisor teaching, supervisor teacher standpoint, it is your responsibility to make sure that those kids are getting a quality education and to make sure that those kids are taken care of in their education, you know, and that is your responsibility, whether or not you have a student teacher, you know, so it's kind of looking at that situation of, is this student teacher ready to take on that thing, like that task, or is it going to be detrimental to my students? Mm-hmm. And so, but then on the other hand, I want to say, yes, all student teachers should have that opportunity because it's a really, really good idea because they're about to step into their own classrooms and they need to know what it's like to teach from, you know, in my situation, I teach from seven 30 in the morning, all the way until four 30 in the afternoon. Yeah. You know, so they, they, on one hand, they need to know what it's like to be alone in a classroom and teach from a to B, right. you know? So I, I think my like landing answer is it depends on the situation, but also yes. 
like plan for it, I guess, is really yes. what I'm thinking. Like a cooperating teacher and a student teacher should plan that that is the plan. By the end of student teacher, you, student teaching, you will have hopefully a week, if not a week, maybe at least three, four days where you're doing the whole shebang. But if there's something that's really not going well, of course, the cooperating teacher can support and jump in and you can work out those details. But probably yeah. just plan on it, though, right? Like set would... the bar high. <laughs> Set the bar high, plan on it. And I guess, you know, as we're sitting here talking about it, I'm thinking from the supervisor teacher standpoint, if already from the get-go, from the beginning of meeting this um, potential student teacher, if you're already getting the feeling that they're not going to be able to handle taking on a full week's worth of, you know, full classroom teaching, it, it might not be a good idea to say yes to that student teacher. Right. And it you might know? not be them. It might be the cooperating teacher feeling like they're not ready to right. take on a student teacher either. Like we don't have time to get behind quote unquote, you know, right. It might not be a good time to have somebody be in your classroom. Exactly. <laughs> that's you know? part of the deal. You just kind of have to know that and you have to be flexible in that way. Right. Right. And then that goes all the way back to talking about like, well, you have to make sure that you jive with the person that you're about to invite into your classroom for eight weeks, yeah. you know, because if you don't jive, then you're going to have a really hard time releasing your classroom to somebody, you know, and releasing that full day. I do think it's a good day to have that full day because after, you know, my elementary student teaching, like that was, and that was, we had talked about that was right when the pandemic hit. Yeah. So before I got into my own classroom, that was the last opportunity I had to teach from point A to point B until I was in the classroom. Yeah. That was my last time. And I cannot tell you how awesome it was to be able to do that full day teaching, have that, that responsibility, because it's like when you are in your own classroom, that's it. Yeah. You're the adult. Yep. Like you need to know those procedures. You need to know what's going on. And there's not always going to be somebody watching you and telling you, oh, well, you need to get better at this. You need to get better at this, which I guess was looking back when I was in college and learning all this stuff. We always had peers watching, teachers watching, professors watching. You know, we always had somebody with us that would we'd be getting this constant feedback. And once you get into teaching your own room, that's not always the case. You know, I think I... I think I had somebody in my room maybe four times my first semester, Yeah, you know, just kind of pop in and not all the time are they going to be musically trained. So they might just say, wow, they're making music. That's great. Yeah. And that might be the most feedback you get, you know? So yeah, I think that that's a good way to do it is to expect that. Now I wouldn't expect that from like a Hey, you're here. You're about to teach eight weeks all on your own. Well, yeah. You know? <laughs> when we when we talked about it, we relinquished by grade level. Like that was a really good, good opportunity to be able to take over one class at a time, be able to see after taking over even one class in student teaching, I was like, wow, I am tired. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then taking over another grade level. I remember because eight weeks is short. And I remember looking at that plan, you know, when we first sat down and talked about it. And I was like, Oh, eight weeks. We got plenty of time. And you're like, okay, so you're, you'll observe me the first, you know, a couple of weeks, then you'll take over the plan that I taught in the next week. Then you'll come up with your own plan and then you'll teach that. And that'll all happen, you know, week three, you know, and I was like, okay. And then, the, then you're like, okay, then week four, we're going to add on fifth grade week six. We're going to add, or sorry, week five, we're going to add on fourth. 
then we'll add on third, then we'll add on second and first, and then it'll be all you, yep. you know, taking over kinder for the last couple of weeks, you know, of your student teaching here. And I was like, okay, yeah, that seems like a good plan. Like that's pretty spaced out, pretty lengthy. Oh boy, was I wrong. It was a, took over, took over one class and I was like, oh, I'm so tired. And then you're like, okay, I need your plans for fifth grade. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I need your plans for sixth grade and fifth grade. Can you get those in, you know, so that we can take a look over them. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And then it was like, okay, cool. So now you've taught fifth grade. How do you feel? What reflection do you have? You know, and we go through that process and you're like, okay, so can I see your plan for fourth grade? <laughs> you know, and it's like, that's not a, a complaint by any means, you know, it's just like a, wow, this is really, it really goes by fast. And then the next thing I knew I was teaching a full day, you know, and I was teaching all the way from sixth grade, all the way down to kinder, Yeah. you know, and that's just a whole different mind stretch of well, kinder doesn't know, you know, so and me, <laughs> they don't know this, you know, so we're getting onto a whole different topics, you know, and now switching your brain literally every hour, mm-hmm. you know, and getting there. And so it's, it's tiring and being able to do those couple of weeks, it really put into perspective, the importance of that work-life balance and the importance of the planning and the importance of the organization and all of that other stuff. Yeah. So to answer the question of should all student teachers get that experience depends on the situation, but yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I personally believe that unless you had a circumstance where it just wasn't happening. And in your case, you did such a phenomenal job that I knew I could push you to that level and you did great. You stepped up to the plate. It was great. Well, thank you. Yeah. And let me tell you, when you left and I had to take over, even though it wasn't very long before the world shut down, I was exhausted too. I was like, oh gosh, I haven't taught a full day in so long. <laughs> so it goes both ways. Um, you mentioned feedback, which is a great segue. I want to move into that section next um you know as far as when you're a first year teacher and you don't get a lot of it (laughs) and you miss it because when you are student teaching it's constant right well it could be constant so i guess that's my question is what does that effective communication and feedback look like from your perspective what do you think is that right balance between you know the, the supervising teacher telling you you know, and you asking for that feedback versus like, just kind of leave me alone and let me figure this out on my own for a little bit. So I, I have to come at this from like two split angles. Yeah. From one side, I remember when I was entering student teaching, you know, it was, I I just had this mindset of, it's like, I just spent four or five years learning all this stuff. Just let me do it. Yeah. You know, and I was really eager and anxious to get into the classroom and do this and be there. And I was like, just leave me alone. Let me do it. You know? (laughs) And so I, you know, it was kind of entering with that mindset of just like, I I just, I got to do it. And then, you know, getting feedback, you know, sometimes that can feel like a personal thing where it's like, you are personally attacking my teaching, you know, and that's not the case. And that's never the case with it, you know? And it's, I think it's just after years and years of being told, Hey, you're doing this wrong or, Hey, you did this well, but Hey, fix this. You know, it's like, it gets to be a lot. And so if you are currently at university and you're feeling that, yes, it is a lot. Yes, you're correct. But at the same time, the importance of being a lifelong learner supersedes any feedback that you might like be feeling aggravated or frustrated with because to every piece of feedback, there's some validity. And which leads me into, you know, the second angle that I have to come at this from 
once you get into your own classroom, there is no feedback. And from one point, that is so relieving. <laughs> you know, from one perspective, that is like a magical feeling to teach a lesson and not be nitpicked at it for every little thing. <laughs> but at the same time, you sit there and you go, well, what now? Did that go well? Did my students actually learn anything? And you just sit there. And after, I would say maybe about two weeks, which is even shorter than your student teaching, you start going, wait, I need advice. Wait, I need to know what I'm doing wrong. And then you start realizing, heck, all of that feedback, I need it. Yeah. Um, And so it's like, as a student teacher, go into it with the perspective of, I'm about to be receiving a whole lot of feedback, but man, don't hold back. I need it all. You know, and that was a conversation that, you know, you and I, Carrie, had at the beginning was you were like, you asked me, you're like, how much feedback do you want? What do you need? You know, because at the same time, you didn't want to overwhelm me and, you know, let me get burnt out before I even got to teaching. Yeah. You know, so you're, you're being really respectful of that. But from the student teacher perspective too, it's like, tell them not to hold back, tell them not to, not to be, you know, too gentle with your feelings, because at the same time, like you're not there to feel good about yourself necessarily. (laughs) You're there as your last opportunity of having that level and intention of learning. You know, the next thing that is after student teaching is teaching. And as much as you want to ask your evaluator to come in, as much as you want to ask other teachers to come in and observe you, they have their other jobs that they're doing. And so, no, they're not going to be in your classroom full time to help you out and give you that feedback as much as they might want to, you know, and that's the last time that you're really going to be able to take that feedback. And so I really enjoyed what we set up, which was you had a running Google doc of all of my feedback. Mm -hmm. That was so helpful because a day of teaching man, you just black out afterwards. You're like, what did I just do? And so to be able to go back and read and review like, oh, hey, you did this, but you kind of forgot to say this part of it. Then you go back and you're like, yeah, I did. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I did do that. You know, and so it's really a reflective thing. And I think that through the process of after, you know, a couple of weeks of having that, that feedback, it, I started realizing really how beneficial it was. So for student teachers, as you're looking at your placement, as you're looking at going into your placements, really go into that with that mindset of, I need this feedback. Don't hold back, you know, be a little harsh on me because I'm going to be grateful for it later. And it's not going to feel like that in the moment. You're going to get frustrated. You might have a couple of nights where you go home and you just need to eat a tub of ice cream. (laughs) Do it. Don't hold back on yourself either, but realize that every day you're getting better. Yeah. And that's the important part. Totally. Yeah. And I loved on that Google doc because then you could comment back on my feedback and you could be like, oh yeah, I I hear what you're saying, but maybe I might try it this way. And then we could kind of have that two-way conversation, but not in person because sometimes you just want to go home and have a break, you know? So for us to sit and have that conversation after school every day would have been draining for both of us, but that gave us both the space to kind of go back and forth, which I thought was really great. Yes. And that also gives you the space because I'll be honest, you know, after a day of teaching, you're like ready to go face plant into your pillow and fall asleep. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you have to do that, take a nap 
And then you have, then you can wake up and your brain is in a whole lot of a different state yeah. to take that feedback. And so I think that that running Google Doc (laughs) is so, so important. And so advice to supervising teachers and student teachers, Google Docs, running Google Doc that you can comment on, do everything. Because then, as I said before, with your, with um, your electronic organization, if you have that in a folder and it's shared between the two of you, you can go back to that folder and say, hey, I'm in my first year of teaching. I don't remember what I screwed up. Yeah. You know, then you can go back and you can look at that feedback and go, you know what? When I was student teaching, I didn't do this phase very well. I didn't do the, the, the prep very well. And that's why my present flopped. Well, now I'm in that same situation here. What advice did my cooperating teacher have for me? And it's like getting feedback without having anybody in the room, which you will crave. You're going to tell yourself that you won't, but you will. (laughs) Especially music specific, because even if you do have your supervisor or your administrator come and observe you, half the time they don't know what to say to you. So to have an actual music teacher give you feedback, sorry to say that might not happen like ever again in your career. (laughs) That's just the truth. Yeah. When you get into teaching from your student teaching into your actual job, encourage your kids, especially in music, to know that it is okay to fail. It is okay to make mistakes because you know what they're, if they, if your students were perfect and came in and knew everything and took all of your teaching and it was just this dream scenario, what's the point of school? Mm -hmm. If they already know everything, why are they showing up? Yep. So encourage them that it's okay. I tell my kids all the time, if you're going to make a mistake, make it loud and proud because I can't fix it if I don't hear it. Exactly. You know, or if you just sit there and don't play and you're going to sit there and you'd be like, you would notice a kid that's not playing. You'd notice a student that isn't participating. You don't. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes you can look and it'll, you'll be like, why aren't you playing? And they'll be like, I haven't done that for a little bit. And then you'll be like, (sighs) oh, you know. And so you, because remember, you're going to be in a room of 30, 50, 60 students. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah, you know, so sometimes that happens, you know, and we do our best as teachers to make sure that all students are participating, you know, and we, we do our best to catch all of that, but sometimes it doesn't happen. And so making sure that you are bringing in as much as you can and encouraging your students, as weird as it says, encouraging your students to fail, um, that is going to build such a culture such a positive culture. And it's going to build a culture in your classroom of learning. It's going to create that culture of um, lifelong learning for those students. And again, we, yes, as music teachers, we teach music, but really we're teaching people how to be people through the venue of music. Yes, sir. Preach. And (laughs) And so that is such a big thing to learn is how to be a lifelong learner, because you're not setting these kids up to be professional musicians, right? You're setting these kids up to have a love of music and to have a love of learning and to have, and to be able to take what they learn and apply it to whatever career they decide to do in their lives eventually, you know? So that is creating a lifelong learner. Let's say that you have a student in elementary school who you are teaching to have this lifelong love of learning through the opportunities to fail and presenting them with safeguards so that when they fail, they're taken care of, that provides them now after high school, after college, after whatever venue of life they choose, that, hey, 
when I go into student teaching, when I go into an apprenticeship, when I go into something like this, I can fail because I'm learning, right. you know, and it also teaches that ability, you know, to when, when they do fail to not have that, oh, I'm done. But to have that perseverance of like, no, I can do this. I just need to learn, right. you know, and the more that you can build that up in students, the better off you're setting them up for success. Hundred percent. So yeah, speaking of failing, let's talk about <laughs> classroom management because that's probably the number one, you know, concern I know student teachers have coming into it and cooperating teachers too. Is how do you how do you deal with classroom management when you don't know these kids that well, you know, you haven't had that long term building of the relationship with them. And then when things are not going well, when do you ask for help from your cooperating teacher, whether it's in the moment while you're teaching a lesson or, you know, for the next day, hey, I struggled with this class. What do you remember about all of that stuff? Okay, classroom management. <laughs> um, you're not gonna manage your classroom perfectly. It's not gonna happen. And things are gonna happen that you really don't expect in classroom management. And so the time to ask for help is your first day. Um, <laughs> ask for tips and tricks that you know help out. I remember when I was student teaching with Carrie, she already had this huge classroom management thing set up where it was warning number one, warning number two, warning number three. Um, and she had different things that each of those warnings meant. Um, like warning one was just to check yourself. Warning two was take some time on your own, go sit in the corner, you know, or the cozy corner, which was all set up and everything, not just go sit in the corner. <laughs> go sit it, in was, <laughs> it was an actual like setup thing. It was that a place, helped. yes. It was a place that was defined in the classroom. Sorry, Carrie, not trying to make it sound like you just said that old school. <laughs> um, and then warning three was you, depending on the age of the student, either A, you need to go spend some time outside of the classroom with a with an adult that's going to help you be able to process your emotions a little bit better, or B, it was you need to go fill out this reflection sheet that we then need to have a conversation about. You know, and it, generally, if a student got to um, warning number three, they already understood what was going on. And that was at any age level. Yeah. They already knew what was going on. And sometimes they just needed that space. Um, and so having a setup like that and understanding those classroom management techniques is going to help you out a lot and not being afraid to use them. Mm -hmm. When I was starting out with Carrie, I was afraid to use the warning system because I didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings, you know, but that caused some issues, in which case Carrie stepped in and said, hey, you remember that warning system? Yeah, let's use it. Um, and so then I started using it and the kids needed that structure. They needed those conversations to happen. And that's part of helping them be people. So that is how you can help students with classroom management, one. Um, two, if during a lesson you have a student that's just not doing so well, while it's not entirely the most realistic, ask your cooperating teacher to step in and help. No, you're not going to have that in your real teaching, but take advantage of it while you have it. Um, because it might be a situation that A, you weren't prepared for. It might be a situation that's brand new that now this master teacher that you have with you can step in and show you how to work through a new situation that's going on. And they can also pull in a lot of different things, you know, like with certain students that might have different plans and how you're supposed to handle things. Um, and so now this master teacher can step in and help you out with that. So the time to ask for help is yes. But, <laughs> Do it. 
feel, do it and feel the temperature of the room too. You know, if it's something that you're like, okay, I can do this, take that risk. Mm-hmm. I know you're getting, you're listening to this and I'm going back and forth on a bunch of different things. It's really feeling the situation. Take the risk if you know you can. Students come first, student safety comes first. Take your ego and put it away. Mm-hmm. You know, ask for help when you need it. So to answer the question, when do you ask for help? The answer is yes, always, and when you need it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, you did a nice job of that, I remember, because anytime that you specifically kind of looked at me with that look of like, ah, help me, um, it was typically a kid who was really struggling and it didn't necessarily have to do with you or the class. He probably or she probably came in already escalated. And it was probably a kid that I knew more about their history, what was going on with them, and I could help their social emotional needs in that moment so you could keep teaching and it wasn't like one of those situations of oh I just have a squirrely kindergartner who won't stop playing with his shoelaces it was like truly a kid who just was really needing additional help so um you know you did a nice job of that um you know I would say for most student teachers, you know, sometimes that panic look might come quicker for others than it did for you. So I like what you're saying about take the temperature of the room and really just try to push through it as much as you can, unless it's one of those like extreme situations, right? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the times too, it's going to come, your classroom management is going to come from your planning beforehand as well. Because if you plan an activity where you have half the students doing something and half the students not doing something, you're now setting up the half of the students that aren't doing something. You're setting them up, for lack of better terms, for failure and not in the positive sense. You're setting them up and giving them the opportunity to behave in a manner that isn't consistent with what you've set up in your classroom. Yeah. You know, and so really making sure that you're planning for all parts of the student learning, even when you give them things that are that's independent learning, making sure that that's very structured, making sure that you've prepared them for something like that. Um, because if they're not prepared for it, it's going to flop and you're going to have classroom management issues that are going on. So really preparing them for something like that, practicing repetition, you know, this is something that comes in, especially, you know, with what I'm doing this year is day one, how do we take out chairs and stands? Mm -hmm. How do we line up at the door? Oh, we didn't quite get there. Let's try again. Yeah you know, and really showing them, this is how we function. This is your expectation, you know, and doing it until they get it right and setting them up for that success. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes, you know, it takes, if you have a a day where your classroom management was just off, that's a first attempt in learning. Mm -hmm. Go back and reteach the content. Don't just bulldoze through it and be like, well, I taught it to them because they didn't learn it. Yeah. Go back, do it in a different way. Um, and then have a better day tomorrow, if that makes sense. No, totally. And I love that you say, because this is something I preach all the time, that so much of classroom management is lesson planning and preparation. If you have a really good, clear, solid plan, then you know where you're going and you've set your kids up for success by giving them the right instruction. And then then they're going to have buy-in and then you're not going to have as many classroom management issues. I think a lot of times when I talk to young teachers about classroom management, it's all about what the kids are doing wrong and they're not thinking about what they're doing wrong. And that not you. You've always been very yeah. good about knowing that. But I'm just saying that that's always something I think that sometimes is missing from the conversation is, well, what were you actually doing with the kids? What was your lesson plan in the moment? And if you can't tell me step by step what you were trying to do, that's probably the problem because the kids yeah. didn't know what you 
wanted them to do either, right? Right, and not having that setup. And then the other part of that too is knowing what's going on in your school, yeah. knowing what's going on in just life in general. Mm-hmm. Like for example, if you plan something that's very mind intensive, the day of or the day before, for example, Halloween, <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> then you're going to notice your classroom management is going to be really, really stressful. Yep. You know, those are days that you plan things that might be a little bit more active in learning. Mm-hmm. Those are days that you plan things that are a little bit more helping the students to succeed while still setting them up for success. For example, if you know that your school is going to be having a pep assembly and they're coming from the pep assembly into your classroom, you might want to plan ahead for that. Yeah. Because if you have them sit down and do silent reading, you know, which I know yeah. doesn't always happen in the music classroom. Well, no, um, but yes, just but yes. movement and active. Yes. Yeah, I know. Have some movement activities, some active activities and help escalate or sorry, de-escalate their energy into being something that is beneficial for the classroom. Use what's going on to your advantage, you know, because if you fight it, you're going to be fighting it the whole period. Yep. Yep. All right. A few more things. So you mentioned ice cream earlier, but that's just maybe one tip. What (laughs) other uh, ways can you recommend for student teachers to stay healthy, to stay sane? balanced during student teaching because it's a whole new animal and I remember myself going into student teaching thinking oh gosh I'm a college kid like I've pulled all-nighters I've had late night study sessions but (laughs) student teaching is like a whole different level of tired right so what were some things that you remembered that helped you get through the time so a you mentioned you know all-nighters and staying up late yeah in college you can do that and I don't know what it is you know, aside from that teaching is exhausting sometimes, you know, I would stay up probably till about 10 or 11, sometimes doing homework if I didn't, you know, need to do it later. Once I got into student teaching, I was asleep by like 8.30 or 9. <laughs> like, it's it's seriously just like this, like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Moment, you know, just like, hold on. I just, but literally last month I could do this and now I can't. It's because teaching can be a whole nother beast and student teaching is a whole nother beast. So big things um, that I preach even now in my professional career is work-life balance. Whatever you can do to be successful during the time that you're at school, do it. Because when you get home, you are not gonna wanna sit on your computer and plan for another two hours. That's not something you're going to want to do. You're going to want to sit and just go mind, mind numb for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that's important. And you should do that, you know, but the more that you can plan and prepare and do things, the better off you're going to be. The other big things um, that helped me stay mentally sane and stable and everything like that. I personally found a good book. I like reading. So I found a good book and I'd read it as soon as I got home or I would, you know, get home, um, cook and eat some dinner and then read my book, and then, you know, go to bed at a reasonable hour. Um, The, and then that helped me stay sane because it, it separated school from my personal time. Now for everyone that might not be a book, that might be video games, that might be plugging in your earphones and listening to a podcast, you know, just like music teacher coffee talk that might be, be, you know, watching some TV, watching HGTV and seeing these people make 
these maybe not so beautiful homes into beautiful homes. You know, <laughs> it might be, it might be something like that, but taking that time for yourself is really, really important, you know, and not overworking yourself. The other big thing, drink way more water than you think you need. I brought a half gallon jug of water with me every single day. <laughs> and I think Carrie judged me a little bit for it. Well, I don't drink enough water. I wasn't judging you, but I was, I think, just shocked by this sheer size of it. <laughs> it was, it was a very large water bottle that I drink every day. And my goal was to finish it by the end of the school day. Yeah. Now, granted, I had to use some of my other free times in school to help out with the increased water take intake. However, comma, it was so important because it kept my brain functioning. It kept me energized to be able to do that. The other thing that helped me out was coffee all the time. I had to drink my coffee first and then I could have my water. Um, because if I didn't get my morning coffee, I was not as nice as I could be um, and not as patient or forgiving. And so a lot of that was for me, I needed my coffee. I needed my banana in the morning and I needed my water, which I guess lends itself to this other thing of develop a routine for you that works. Because if you develop a routine, then you are going to be set to go. I think I could, my routine from student teaching elementary um, with Carrie was I'd wake up early. Um, I'd make sure that I had all my stuff together the weekend before. So I had all my lunches prepped, everything else like that. So that I wasn't worried about it throughout the week. Um, I would get my water ready, my breakfast, my banana ready, my coffee cup set out, ready to go the night before so that I didn't have to think about it in the morning got it all together, got my coffee together, walked out the door, ate my banana on the way, um, got into the room, was drinking my coffee, set to go, planned when I could, talked with Carrie about what we needed to do, got everything else planned, went home, cooked myself, no, went home, went for a run, which is my important thing, cooked some dinner, ate some dinner, read a book, went to bed, rinse, repeat. Yeah. Living by that routine, really set me up for success and kept me sane because I knew that I had something stable to rely on. Mm -hmm. I knew that I would be stable. It wasn't like, Hey, I got home. Now let me spend 30 minutes figuring out what I need to do. Oh, I needed to do that. Oh, I needed to do that. Oh crap. I needed to do that. And now I'm sitting there working until midnight. And then that just throws off your entire week. Yep. You know, so getting ahead of it and doing all of that beforehand and getting into your routine is gonna help. And that's what kept me sane and balanced. And the runs kept me healthy. Yes. <laughs> <The> water. <laughs> Got to prioritize health and work-life balance. That's awesome. All right, Brian, you have said so many amazing things. Are there any other just final tips or suggestions or memories from student teaching that you think might be beneficial for anyone listening today? Final tips and suggestions. Drink water. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Um, at the end of the day, even if your entire day failed, realize that it's a new day tomorrow and realize that your cooperating teacher isn't going to hate you. Those students aren't going to hate you. Um, they are, you're going to be just fine. Build student relationships. That's what's most important because you know what? At the end of the day, they're not going to always remember what you taught them but they will remember how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. I am sure that right now, as you're listening, you can think of a teacher that just inspired you, that inspired you to become a teacher, that inspired you to become a better person. 
But can you remember every single day of every single lesson that they taught? Probably not. But you remember how they made you feel. On the opposite end of things, you can remember that one teacher that maybe you were like, I cannot stand you. Mm-hmm. But are you remembering what they taught you? Or are you remembering what, how they made you feel? Mm-hmm. You know, so really being a teacher comes down to those student relationships. If they know that you're there for them, if they know that you're going to be there and help them and support them as a human, then you're going to be able to teach them a lot better. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have, that's when you get those students that come back and say, Hey, Mr. C, Hey, Mrs. Nicholas, you know, that come back and just have that rapport and that relationship with you. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Sometimes they do remember random things, even in, as I'm teaching high school, I'll be like, Hey, do you remember, you know, Ta and Titi, you know, as I'm talking about different rhythms and stuff and taking that knowledge and building it up to their next knowledge. And they'll be like, Oh yeah, Mr. So-and-so from such and such elementary taught me that. <laughs> You know, and sometimes they do remember that stuff. And so it's yeah. really just building that positive relationship. Cause I can also tell you, I get stories on the other end of it too. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh yeah, I quit band because I hated this teacher. Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, you know, so build student relationships, take care of yourself, work-life balance. You're worth it. You're valued. You're awesome. Um, keep all of that stuff going in a good way. Nice. So now it's time for our CODA section where we each share something we are enjoying, either personal, professional, something in or out of the classroom. So I'm going to let Brian go first. Brian, what have you been enjoying lately? So my coda, and I don't know if all of you out there have heard, but Animal Crossing just came out with a huge update that like completely changed the game in <laughs> a great way. And so my coda is the Animal Crossing game. I have come home almost every day now. And instead of reading that good book that I was talking about earlier, I have been playing Animal Crossing and building my island and talking with my residents. And then I'll, if you haven't downloaded the update, I'll leave any of the spoilers out, you know, but I've been playing the other side of that game now too. And it has been so much fun. Um, And in addition to that game, um, the Mario Party, the new one came out for Switch, which is kind of a big nostalgia moment um, because it's a lot of the Nintendo 64 um, games and boards and stuff like that. So it's like bringing in a lot of that nostalgia from when I was growing up. So my fiance and I have been playing a lot of that. Um, So that's really my coda is has been video games lately. That's what's been keeping me sane and having a good time and being able to come nice and refresh for my students the next day. I love it. I I enjoy a good video game myself occasionally. I'm more of a Zelda <laughs> kind of gal, but um, we don't have Animal Crossing in our family life, so that might be a good Christmas present for my kids. Is what I'm hearing. It's a good one. They it's would a lot love of fun. It. It's it's a lot like a. Um, it's not necessarily like you have the goal of A to B. It's more of like honestly everyday living. Yeah, but it's I like those ones too. Game. That's fun. Yeah, so that's fun. I do dabble in Zelda. I'm still finishing Breath of the Wild. Oh, it's my favorite. I'm on it. I'm <laughs> playing it for a second time. It's so fun. I love it. 
All right. Well, Brian and I were talking off mic about our all love for true crime podcasts and how we're both murderinos and we enjoy (laughs) my favorite murder. But if you've listened to me ever before, you probably already know that. So I'll recommend another true crime podcast that's probably not new to any of you who enjoy this genre. But I've recently started listening to the Morbid, Morbid podcast. Brian, you've listened to that one as well. I haven't listened to Morbid, but the My Favorite Murder is where I'm at, so I'm going to have to check out Morbid. Yeah, it's very similar because it's two gals chatting about true crime, but they have a slightly different, you know, vibe than than um, My Favorite Murder. It's just kind of more of the same, but just presented in a different way and presented really well. So um, sometimes when I just want to change it up, uh, Morbid is another good option. So another great podcast to listen to if you like that genre. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. And thank you to my special guest, Brian Zelaya, for joining me today. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee, so look for that link on our show notes and on our Facebook page. In our next episode, Tanya will be interviewing another special guest. Until next time, this is Carrie wishing you happy musicking. Music